Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future is Bilingual podcast. Very excited today. I'm sitting with Tiffany, and I just want to talk to her, but you know, we have to start recording. So, Tiffany, tell us, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Who's yeah. in your family? All the good stuff. <laughs> so, as you said, my name is Tiffany. I am 37 years old. Um, I have, I have a husband and two children. Um, my firstborn Amelia will be turning five soon. And then my little, my little boy will be turning three in August. He's two right now. Um, and we live in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have been living in New Jersey for a while now. Um, I want to say probably eight years now. So yeah, I, I met my husband, uh, who's a New Jersey boy, uh, through a mutual friend. Um, and then, yeah, we dated and things took off rather quickly with him. Uh, I moved in with him in Jersey city first. Um, then we got married and once we knew we wanted to start a family, we decided to look around, uh, rather than stay in Jersey city. And we found a beautiful little town called Belleville. Uh, which is not far from Montclair or actually not far from Newark as well. Mm -hmm. So that area. And yeah, we've been here for, for a while now, five years, I want to say. And I work as a communications associate at the Sabin Center for Climate Change Law. So uh -huh. I promote all the center's uh, activities. Uh, they're a joint center of the Columbia Law School and the Columbia Climate School. So um, cool. and very yeah. important. Thank you. For very all important that. work. Yes, thank you yes. for doing that. Yes, I've I've been an environmental advocate for a while now, so it's something I feel very passionately about. So I'm really, really happy to be, uh, you know, helping promote their activities. No, that's yeah. great. We need people like you, right? Because there's a lot of us that are just. <laughs> we're environmentalists and we're, you know, we're passionate, but we're not going to actually make it our career because we're, you know, other things. But it also helps to do it your, in your personal life, right? If you take actions oh, sure. at the individual level or yes. within your family, I think mm -hmm. family unit, I think that also Schools, makes a difference if we, yeah, yeah. Keep teaching, educating your children, mm -hmm. you know, handing down your, if you're interested in gardening, if you're interested in, you know, nature walks, whatever it is, do that yep. with your children and that, that they will um, become passionate as well. That's a great point that like, it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking. Like there's little things that we're doing anyway. Yeah. We go exactly. for walks every day. We, we plant some seeds, you know, like that's, yeah. Even those small steps count, which is thank you. Yeah. Now I feel better. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So Tiffany, where are you originally from? Cause you said you moved to New Jersey. Yes. So I actually, I grew up in France. Um, and just to back up a little bit more, I was actually born in Colombia, South America. Um, and I was adopted by, uh, my my adoptive parents are French and American. So my father is French and my mother is American. They met in wow. the States and she, you know, she loved France. She loved the French language. So she fell in love with a Frenchman who mm -hmm. was overseas to, to, to do um, engineering school to get his master's in engineering. That's where he met her. And then she followed him to France. Um, so wow. yeah, they, they made a life in France. Uh, and then they decided to have to try to have children that didn't work. Um, and so they were looking into adoption. And they had a friend at the time who was working, he was French, and he was working as an expat in Colombia. And his wife was volunteering in this, in this, um, in this orphanage, I want to say, um, called La Casa de la Madre y los, los Niños. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's how they got that 
that connection to that that place in Colombia, and so then they wild. started the process. How many start... things had to fall into place for them to I... meet, and them to then try, and them to have this friend, and then that friend to be in? Oh my gosh, it's like before you were even born, like all the things that had to have happened, and then exactly you traveled the world in like your very first couple, like I don't know the year of your life, right? You've already gone exactly yeah it was pretty amazing the the whole story behind Mm -hmm. that um so yeah they start yeah exactly they started the process the adoption process and uh first they adopted my sister it was from another biological another family another family in Colombia um so we're not related we're not blood related Mm -hmm. um and then two years later uh they were able to adopt me at that same it's really, it's not a, I say orphanage, but right. it's really, it's a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. and they take in women who have, who have, who are pregnant and, and don't help. know and need help. Exactly. Right. They need, like they have conflicted pregnancies. They don't know what to do. They don't right. know if they want to keep the baby. They, they don't, don't have the support. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They don't have the family support, financial support. So um, oh. my mother was taken into La Casa de, de la Madre y los Niños and um, in Bogota. And yeah, uh, she was there for nine months and then she gave birth to me. And then a week later, my, my parents came to get me. I was only a week old. They don't do this anymore in Colombia. I think they, no. the, the mother has like three months to decide after the birth. She mm. has three months to decide whether or not she wants to give up the baby for adoption or keep him. Such a, that's such a sensitive topic because I can see both sides that like, you know, if you are going to end up with the adoptive parents, of course, they would want to have you from the moment you're born, right? Like for them, that's your birth, right? Like they want to be your parents. And then, but the other side, like, yes, this birth mother, she also gave birth to you and she deserved her time. And then there's the whole, like, if they're conflicted of whether to keep you three months, I mean, can you imagine like this, the mental load of like, should I, should I not, should I, you know, you're just going back and forth, making pros and cons lists in your head for three months. I mean, that's also very, I don't know. I don't want to say stressful, but like very, it just weighs on you when you have this decision. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm yeah. for or against like more time, less time, or I guess having the three, they can decide sooner. Right. It's, it's just a bigger window, which is, I think always good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But you're right. I mean, in this case, I'm sure it was like easier for her. Like she gave birth to me and that's it. I was gone. I didn't have any time with her. Um, right. It just probably made the process easier, you know, just yeah, to you don't give a bit. She knew much. she wanted to give me up to exactly like she knew she wanted a better life for me, uh, right. which is something I was able to, to really have. Um, so I'm, I'll always be grateful to her, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's it's a uh, very sensitive topic for many people. Um, yeah. My family as well. There's adoption, mm-hmm. um, not in, not my, but my, my mother's generation. And then also, you know, I have friends who were adopted and yeah, it's just, it's the most like heart-wrenching for, for everyone involved. I think that the kids want to know their parents and the parents, they don't necessarily want to give them up, but they have to for, you know, yeah. reasons, money or job or what, you know, what have you. Exactly. Age. I mean, there's so many reasons. Um, there's yeah. so many factors. Yeah. So, and actually when, when I went back to Colombia in 2012, I went to that same, to La Casa, and mm-hmm. I met with the woman who was the one who facilitated the adoption, and she remembered my parents. She had an amazing memory. She remembered all the kids that, that mm-hmm. you know, she helped um, with the adoption. She remembered all the families that the kids were placed with, and so she remembered oh, my parents very, very well. Like, her memory was just unbelievable, 
And so I was able to spend time with her and she gave me like an hour of her time where she took out my file and she kind of explained the circumstances mm -hmm. under which I was, I was given up. Um, and I kind of, I knew it, I knew about it because my parents, my, and I call them my real parents because they're the ones who raised me. They explained everything to me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't actually even remember the conversation we had about them telling me I was adopted. I always knew, I always knew I was adopted. This was always like an open and that's topic. a whole nother issue, right? Like, yeah. do you find out about it when you're in your 20s and you're like, what the? <laughs> right? It's like I've, how parents choose how, you know, it, it's just, it's so fraught. Yeah. I feel like the whole It is. Whole Absolutely. Yeah, I've heard cases where the parents don't want to, you know, divulge that that information yeah. to them. And then the kid well, puts them in know, a vulnerable, figures it out. Yeah, it, it does put you in a vulnerable place, I feel like, where the kid could turn on you and say, you're my, my real parent. And I don't yeah. have to listen to you because <laughs> exactly. even my own blood, you know, the only kids I gave birth to, they'll say things when they're mad at me. I don't like you, mommy. I hate mommy. I'm like, I gave birth to you <laughs> nine months of my, you know, so even, can you imagine like, you know, the, the kind of the attacks they could throw at you, right? That's never been the scary. case. Thank Thankfully, it's never been the case with us. They've always been very transparent about everything. And, you know, definitely the telling best way me, to go. Just be honest. Oh yeah. yeah. Just be honest, you know, and I think there's a little bit of, I think, um, of course, there's fear on their part of, oh, will she want to try to meet her biological mother? And right. what if she does end up meeting her and then she forms an attachment with her mother? Then what happens to us? You know, there's that like angst, fear. there's that yeah. fear, there's that jealousy almost, I exactly. want to say. Mm -hmm. So, but um, just to let you know, I never got a chance to meet my biological oh. mother. Mm -hmm. um, it just, I, it wasn't in the cards. Um, for whatever reason, you know, I did leave a letter at La Casa. I did say if she ever comes to you and, and shows interest in, in finding out about me, well, here's my That's information, great. here's my email, um, and just give her this letter. I just wrote a very brief letter just telling her did how amazing my could. life is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... Yeah, that's 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 the story, the birth story. It's quite a story. <laughs> and, you should write a book. I know. Right? I'll endorse and, it. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we grew up in in France, my sister and I, um, and my parents spoke to us in English at home. Yeah, so I I always I always had perfect English. Like I never had an accent. I always, of course, you know, since I live in the States now, of course, it probably got my accent got better, but it was never, I never had like a French accent when I spoke in English because my parents spoke to us in English. And even to this day, it's not natural for me to speak French to my father who's French. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not natural. Like we'll do it like when we're in a, in a French setting, like if right. I'm with my parents in, in a, you know, hundred percent French setting, like with my, my French family, my cousins, aunt, uncle, then of course I'll speak to my, my father in French. But when we're at home, if it's, if it's just me, my sister and my parents, we all speak in English together. Yeah. So we just, it's always been like that. And, and what if friends came over while you were growing up? Yeah. Well, it depends on who the friend was. Okay. Yeah. It depends on, yeah. On, uh, we had for the first five or six years, I was in a French, uh, I was enrolled in the French, you know, public school system. Right. Um, and so I had French friends, obviously. So whenever they would come over, we would only speak in French. Mm -hmm. But then when I was five or six, maybe six, I, my parents um, enrolled me in a international school in the suburbs of, of Paris, de, de, à Saint-Jean-Manlay, mm -hmm. le lycée international de Saint-Jean-Manlay. 
so I was there from, uh, yeah, I guess first grade to all the way to high school, right? They do. Oh, wow. Yeah, they have the, the full, all the grades um, mm-hmm. up until high school. So I did my, my baccalaureate uh, option internationale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was there. So um, that's when I started really having like international friends, people from all over the place. It was really yeah. international. You had people from Portugal, from Spain, from so Germany, cool. from Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, of course, in the national section, the American section. Mm-hmm. And so did people mostly speak English then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I made I made a lot of American friends, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was I was attracted to all sorts of backgrounds, not just American. I, mm-hmm. I made all kinds of friends and it's great. I, I love that. You know, I love the multicultural aspect of the international school. There was no separation. Everybody was just, you know, everybody looked different or sounded different. But everybody spoke several place. languages, but mm-hmm. we're, we're all people. So, right. you know, I never saw even like, you know, uh, I know the States in the States, we tend to be very focused on the skin, skin color. Mm-hmm. I started really noticing that like here in the States, we're so mm-hmm. focused on like superficial aspects of yeah. the skin color of, you know, where are you from? You look, you look like this, but yep. you know, whereas I, I'm not used to that having grown up in the, such a diverse multicultural setting. We, yep. we never questioned, nobody ever asked me, why are you brown and your parents are white? I never got that question growing yeah, up. Yeah, And you would have in the States for sure. Exactly. Like people would have noticed that immediately and they immediately would have commented um so you know somebody either discreetly or non-discreetly would have said something exactly yeah and just to play devil's advocate i'm all for international schools i think it's great but did you did you think your french suffered or did you take french classes like how did yeah how do people maintain i'm just wondering i just did the whole live on the francophonie right so like french you got to promote french so yeah play devil's advocate. how did you maintain french um, cause I mean, school is like your life, right? Like it's like work, it you spend the whole day, you spend seven, eight hours there. You make yeah. the friends. If you're speaking in English with them, you're going to be hanging out after school speaking English. So True. how was your, like, did you think that your French got worse or no. and especially you don't weren't speaking it at home. So like, yeah, how yeah. did you end up balancing and maintaining? And yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, I, I have to say the international school that I attended was very, good at balancing both I think and it was actually primarily so the French part of that school for the Lycée International was public so you didn't have to pay for that part and then the American the national section that's where you had to pay that that's the private part of it Um, but it was really I think it was mainly we had French classes in you know whatever it was geography history um you know, you know, French, and then the national section was less hours of that of classes in, in my case, in, in English, um, than French. And the French part was all, always very, very, um, uh, I want to say, uh, not strict. I mean, French teachers are stricter. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> in that, my experience, that, that does actually teachers. track. Yeah, that tracks pretty well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we really had like you know rigorous. Uh, very, very. That's the word, rigorous. rigorous. Yes, very go. rigorous, rigoureux. Right. I wasn't sure if you could say that same word. You can in English, say that in English. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, yeah, rigoureux. Yeah, beaucoup de rigueur. It really like, and there were times when my writing was not 
rigorous and the teachers would say, say you know they would grade me poorly and say you need some manque de rigueur <laughs> you know needs to be more structured and all of that yeah. um so they were yeah they were very very um good teachers and you know it was a tough school mm. it was a very tough school you really had to you had to be disciplined yeah um, we don't take it lightly French, right french teachers they do not take their subject oh, lightly so yeah you better yeah, get it they, right you better get it exactly so and the American teachers are very good too but I just I noticed from the get-go the difference oh yeah in in the way that they teach they taught cultural teachers taught yeah cultural it's cultural it's it's the hey we're all in this together you can call me Lauren and like it's fine and like the French teachers are like I am madame you know like you listen to me while I lecture and you you understand and then you give it back to me verbatim just do the thing I told you to do. It's not, exactly. what's your opinion? How does that make you feel? Let's yeah. all talk about this and take a brain break for five minutes. Yeah, no, it's it's a whole different ball game, right? Yeah. And I didn't do school. I did, um, you know, university in France and uh, two different universities. Oh. But in, uh, yeah, I did a semester in Le Mans and then mm-hmm. um, a semester in, or actually a year, uh, La Licence, uh, Licence en Arabe. So I did a year of like an undergraduate degree in Arabic in uh, L'Université de Rennes in Britney, oh. so then but yeah I mean there's it's just a different culture it's just a different mentality like the way teachers teach right yeah, yeah absolutely and and you know I will say that um you know it the American teachers in my experience were always so positive not to say yeah. the French teachers weren't positive because there were some very good you know positive teachers but it was always like it was a difference um in terms the, of what you did you, great Pat you on the yes, back. You did a great exactly. job. Exactly. You did a great job for the American teachers. Let's work on this. Whereas in France, it was like, you need to work on this. Oh, but this was good too. But you need to work on this. Like this. You, the this focus is on the negative. Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, I know it's a nutshell. It's kind of like stereotypical way of describing it, but really that's, that's what I felt in my experience. And you're not the only one who's lived there. <laughs> and even, I mean, I've talked about this to, to students and just how the French mentality is like, they're not going to say like, oh yeah, I'm doing well. Everything's good. They're going to say like, pas mal. Like they're going to use a negative. Like it's not bad. Like that's And like, there's plenty of like, you know, creators online that make videos about this because literally like they're going to use negatives or double negatives to say the same thing we could just say like with a positive. Like, hey, it's not bad. Can you just tell me it was good? No. Exactly. Whereas the American teachers, my, my favorite teacher, I won't say his name, but uh, he was the most positive person I've ever met, even to this day. And I'll tell my husband, like, the words that he would say, he, he would say, like, this was fantastic. This was great. And he had so much energy like in the classroom. Like, he, he was always moving around, and he had so much energy. And he would he would make you feel like a stellar student, even though, you know, objectively speaking, I probably didn't do that well. But the way that he made me feel was like, wow, you did amazing. Mm-hmm. The presentation was great. Your essay was great. Um, and then he would, you know, he would just tell me nicely, but you know, you, you have to work on this too. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get just, real. Like, so, yeah, yeah, you have to work on this, but this was great, great start, you know, great, great work. Mm-hmm. So, When did you first come to the States? Like you said, you grew up in France. Yeah, for the States, I decided to apply uh, to a college, uh, to several universities in the States. Uh, I knew I wanted to study music. I was a very avid uh, musician, singer, Mm -hmm. 
I played piano. I was in school plays. I had some leading roles in school plays, including Maria and West Side Story. Mm. And then I was Carmen in my, in my senior year in high school. I played Carmen. So I had Perfect. a teacher. Yeah, I had a teacher who was um, who really encouraged me to apply to, you know, great music programs in universities in the states. And she she told me you should apply to Indiana University. Mm-hmm. So I applied. I auditioned, and I got in. And it's one of the top top rated music programs in the states. You know, there's there's Juilliard, but then there's also Indiana yeah. University School of Music. So I was I was in awe. I was like, oh my god, I got in. Um, so I spent a year at Indiana University studying classical music, studying uh, opera, and I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Um, but after a year, I decided, well, there's also other factors. I had a boyfriend in France and mm-hmm. there are many, you know, you're young and you're stupid, but I, I knew, I, I also knew that I didn't want to pursue classical music. I wanted to pursue pop, like more modern music. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to write my own songs, perform, yeah. perform them in front of an audience. And you have so to just... try to realize what you want or what you don't want. Exactly. I mean, we all go through those things where we, we give it a try and it doesn't work out or exactly. we just realize like, no, this isn't really want to, you know, I could keep putting four more years or three more years into this, or I could just, you know, decide now that this is better. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'll never regret it because it really gave me an amazing experience there. So what happened is I ended up going back to France and pursuing something more conventional, more conventional studies. So I did psychology. I have a licence mm-hmm. en psychologie. And then um, I pursued music on the side. So I was working with a producer in Paris. We uh, worked on a demo. So I, I wrote my own songs. He was producing the tracks. And that's when I first got my, my first taste of, of uh, you know, work in a music studio, which was amazing. Wow. The many lives of Tiffany. I'm going to write a book. It does sound like I have like a million lives in just Position, one. Psychologist, but... <laughs> psychologist. Oh. So, um, yeah, so that, that was in France. Then after I graduated with my licence, I decided to move to New York because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I really want to pursue music now because I, I got my first taste in Paris and now I want to take it even further. So what ended up happening is my parents were like, okay, you can do this. But we're not gonna we're not gonna support you financially. You can go off to New York, but <laughs> if you're not gonna pursue something, you know, more conventional, uh, you, you're on your own. Which was actually, I was talking to my husband. I said that was the greatest experience, mm. having to figure things by myself, figure figure things out by myself, trying to make it on my own. Yes, I was a starving artist, but I had side jobs. Mm. I was an au pair, so okay. you know, we'll get into that more as we as we speak about parenting, but. My years of childcare experience, that, that has been so beneficial. I was taking care of uh, American kids. So I was an au pair in Westchester. Mm-hmm. The two kids were six and two. And mm-hmm. I, my job was to not only take care of them, but also speak to them in French because mm-hmm. they, went to the, they were going to the French and American right. School of New York in Larchmont. Um, and so the parents asked me to really only speak French to them. So... I was doing activities with them in French. I was, yeah, you got to be creative. Yeah, I I got really creative with them. And um, I also want to say that your parents sending you off on your own is also a very French attitude of like, se débrouiller, right? Like just manage on your own. Like, I feel like we don't, we don't use that. Like, ah, débrouille-toi, like just figure it out, right? Like, parents are like, oh, we'll help you. What do you (laughs) 
like parents writing their kids college paper because they want to <laughs> like here in the states like, oh. i feel like parents would never do that like yeah no it's not the helicopter you know, I feel like they them a little bit yeah we have the helicopter parents you guys have the yeah it's definitely so parents yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> so um yeah so i was a nanny and then i was pursuing music yeah so au pair first and then i moved to i wanted to be in manhattan so i worked as a nanny again with another family who's the father's two children funnily enough they were also adopted they were from china oh. originally from china two lovely girls and i still have such oh. great fond memories of them um and they went to the lycée français mm-hmm. on the upper east side um so, oh, so they're older so they were older yeah they were eight and 12 I think at the time mm-hmm. um and so I I was also my my job was to also help them with their homework and speak only in French to them which mm-hmm. is tricky also because once they figured out that I my English was also good they would try to like get over on me and try to talk to me in English I'd be no 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 en français <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to keep a straight poker face. Like, no, je comprends pas. Non, no, je comprends pas ce que tu dis. Répète-le en français. So many times, like so many times. Yeah. So I was also when I was in France, living in France, I also got this uh, certificate called le BAFA, le brevet d'animateur. So yeah, I got like a formal training to actually take care of children in like uh, centre de loisirs, like daycare. Yeah, like a colonie daycare. de vacances. Also. Like a colonie, that, exactly. Yeah. I did that. I did colonie de vacances. I did centre aéré. Yeah, 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 summer camps and daycare. So it works for all those. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I actually had formal training for that. And actually thinking about, you know, in what's worked um, in terms of reinforcing the minority language at home with my children has been all of those years of speaking in French to young children in these settings and daycare, summer camp, as an au pair, as a nanny, because I got used to, I truly got used to speaking in French to young children Mm -hmm. and learning all these songs for young children, doing arts and crafts in French, like engaging with children from, you know, all ages, really. When you think about it, I've taken care of newborns up until Mm -hmm. like 13 or 14 year old. Yeah, and it's, Kids. C'est pas évident. it's not obvious, like, yeah. you, you know, especially for us, if we're non-native, like, well, what are the lullabies that are, you know, that I should sing? Or like, exactly. what are the cute little words? I had a friend, Misty, on recently, her um her husband's French, and she was like, talking about the cute little words her the, the parents-in-law will be like, choupinette. <laughs> She's like, I would never know that word. Where the hell would I ever know the word choupinette? so like it's just not it's not obvious unless it's you've either not. been around it right like you've either exactly. been around someone else raising kids or it was exactly. like you forced like you it was like your job so like you had to learn it but like exactly. yeah you're like you're not thinking of you know you're, you're pregnant you're all excited and then you're like yeah. okay I know French but like I don't know all the words like I don't know yeah. the words for like a little I don't know like the, the bib what is that something about bavoir bavoir le bavoir yeah. I knew bave is to drool so I'm like it's something to do with drooling I don't remember <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's not super like obvious you know if, like no. you didn't grow up with it exactly like, and I feel like yeah and but I feel like through my training I really was able to learn all these these things you know for for kids like all these songs all these lullabies like you were saying uh and all the terms and the way you talk to children but in French like I've Mm -hmm. always taken care of children in French and so I think that's really benefited me Mm -hmm. as a mother of two now so tell us what is your family language plan what is the you know who speaks what to whom how did you decide all that so uh well 
obviously, since we live in this in the United States, English is the majority community language, right? And my husband is American. He is Puerto Rican, but mm -hmm. I will say he's one of those American, really Americanized Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. So he, his Spanish is very bad, is very poor. Like my Spanish is like a thousand times better than his. He can't have a conversation in Spanish. Okay. He can understand. Is he a passive bilingual? Yeah, he can understand yeah, a lot. He can understand yeah. a lot, but he can't communicate with other Spanish speakers. And again, that's practice, right? Like if you yeah. grow up in a house where you've, you've heard a language, no matter what language, right? You could grow up yeah. in a house with Japanese parents and understand, but if you don't put yeah. it into practice, you will, you won't have those skills. Exactly. Um, and yeah, there's a lot, right? Of course, because there's such a high number of Spanish speakers here, there's a lot of passive bilinguals, these receptive bilinguals that they can understand Spanish, but then they don't necessarily practice speaking because they'll say yeah. things to their parents in English and everybody just continues like that. Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another but, one of those. Yeah. But I think for the Puerto Rican um, population in um, from what I understand, because, you know, it it was it was easy for me to judge them and say, why didn't they why didn't your parents like talking to my husband role? Why didn't your parents teach you Spanish? Come on, this is absurd. Your mother was a Spanish teacher. I don't understand. It's not conceivable. I can't understand. But that's because I come from a different background. You have to understand also the context in which, you know, immigrant, you know, second generation, like people that came from Puerto Rico. I know my husband's father. So my father-in-law, he was born in Puerto Rico. And then when he, I think he was eight, seven or eight, he came to New York. Mm -hmm. And then my mother-in-law, she was born in the Bronx. She grew up in, or Washington Heights. She grew up in, in New York. Um, and so there was a lot in those, in those days, there was a lot of, as you know, a lot of racism, racism towards yeah. these people, these, this, this 100%. segment of the population, mm -hmm. people coming from Puerto Rico or second generation, third yeah. generation, you know, like you guys need to basically uh, hearing people tell them you guys need to really adapt to the to american life you, you know you in. have to speak you have don't to fit in you have yep. don't speak spanish yep leave that that language in uh, on, on that island, island. <laughs> exactly and now i'm starting to really understand that it's so Whereas much more complicated yeah and so there's a whole revolution of people seeing bilingualism as being a positive because for so many years it was seen as if you speak one, you're going to not speak the other as well. Like it's taking away from it's English. So we got to put all the resources on English. It, it was seen as a hundred percent. And if you divide it into two, you're only going to have 50%. And like, that's not how it works at all. But that was the mentality, right? Like, well, we can't have Spanish because it's going to take away from your English and you got to speak good English. And yeah, I mean, many, many nationalities went through that where the, there's these gaps in, in the generations where like, well, my grandparents spoke Polish, Russian, you know, whatever it is, Chinese, but then my parents don't. So I never learned, right. That's a very common story, unfortunately. And it's, yeah, it's about fitting in. It's about, it's about fitting in the melting pot and everybody exactly. has to speak English and not, not knowing this, like we didn't have the research. We didn't have the knowledge that you can be a competent bilingual and it won't take away from your, you know, listen to you <laughs> when you speak French, when you speak English, you sound completely native in both. Like it didn't take away from either of them exactly yeah yeah it's really so, it's too bad but it's that's it's just too bad it's almost like I, that's how it was yeah Can't. but now now that Raul my husband sees the benefits of learning all these languages 
you know, uh, for the kids to, to, he hears them speaking in French mm-hmm. and he's amazed and he hears them speaking in Spanish as well. And he's like, he, he regrets that, you know, he didn't get that from the, in the early years. I it's regret really it. It wasn't early. an option, but I regret it. I wish I had had it. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he, he's just in awe over the progress that the kids are making. Yeah. And that's because they're getting, you know, regular exposure. So yeah. yeah. So I speak from the time that they were born, I made that you know, decision, that command decision of, of saying to myself, I'm only going to speak French to them mm-hmm. from the time that they're born. I slipped into that mode into the minute Emilia was born, my firstborn, uh, she, the minute she came out of me, the second she came out yeah. of me, I held her in my arms and I spoke in French to her. Aww. And yeah, <laughs> and it's been like that ever since. And uh, even when Raul is around, even at the dinner table and she's talking to me, mm-hmm. she'll talk to me in French. Yeah. You know, and she, I mean, yes, there's the, the thing about uh, code switching or mixing languages. They'll do that, of course. You know, that's completely yeah. natural. She, it's a normal, yeah. It's a normal, it's a normal thing. She mm-hmm. she goes to a public pre-K, um, so she's exposed to English. She speaks in English to her father. Uh, you know, obviously that's the majority language. But when it comes to talking with maman, we only speak in French and, and even in the morning when I first wake up and my mind goes to English right away, because you know what it's like when you first wake up, it's your native, your you know, just, the majority language yeah. that kicks in right away. Yeah. Even in the morning when she, she wakes up and she talks to me, she, she's talking to me in French and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I have to slip into French mode now. Yeah, you, you need to get your brain like, okay, hold on. But, um, yeah, so so that's great. And then now we're really starting to incorporate Spanish too, since you know I do speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. I I guess I was reticent to really teach them Spanish uh, or teach Amelia Spanish sooner because I really wanted to focus on French because mm-hmm. I wanted her French, her level of French to be as good as mine, mm-hmm. you know, like at a native level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and I, I also knew that in her early years and in Leo's uh, years right now, he, they were both exposed to Spanish in a daycare setting. Okay. So yeah, we placed them um, in a daycare in Belleville um, with, you know, women who were, are from the Honduras. So Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're Spanish. So they mainly speak in Spanish to the children. So, yeah. So the kids got Spanish from that. And you, you, you know, when I'd pick up Leo from, from that daycare, you you would hear him, you'd say, no, it's mio, mio. Like he would say little words like mio. There we go. First word, mine. (laughs) Yeah. Mio. oh so, my gosh that's so no tell us how did you learn spanish obviously you were uh, born in colombia but i you, you left within a week so you didn't learn any spanish over there exactly so um i started learning spanish formally at at the international school starting in sixth grade i believe mm. yeah i was 12 years old yeah that's when we started uh, in the u.s sixth grade is when we started yeah, I would argue that's too late. Wait, <laughs> but yeah, you're not right, going to change you know. the system now. <laughs> you're yeah, not yeah. going to change the system. But um, yeah, so I, I started learning in, in sixième. So I had six, um, six years, I guess, of, of Spanish. And uh, so, but it, it, it never really led to me speaking fluently, right? Is you're, you're learning, you know, how to talk oh, yeah. a little bit, but it's basic. 
We could have a whole podcast on that. Yes. And I was part of it. I taught high school. I taught middle school. I taught English in uh, elementary schools in France. So like I'm part of that. I'm a teacher, but I also think the way we teach what we're asking of students to do, you know, verb charts doesn't get you to speak. Things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a whole nother pot of worms. We'll open another time. Yeah, exactly. To be continued. Um, But uh, so my, I guess um, I started becoming really fluent in when I moved to New York, when I was living in Washington Heights. Um, So there was a a pretty significant um, Dominican population still Mm -hmm. to this day, even though it's kind Mm -hmm. of gentrified now. Um, And so at the time I was living with the Dominican family in Washington Heights Mm -hmm. and the mother, uh, she, her English was very poor. So I had to communicate with her in Spanish. And so I was seeing her, I was speaking Spanish on a daily basis because I was seeing her every day and she was so sweet. She was like my second mother. Um, so that really uh, forced me to speak Spanish and to improve my my speaking skills. And then also leading up to, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, I, I went back to Colombia in 2012. So leading up to, 20, to that trip to Colombia, I made also like a plan to really improve my yeah. speaking. So I was doing everything in Spanish. I remember I was watching movies in Spanish. I was reading books that I knew in English. I was checking them out of the library in Spanish. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was talking more with, uh, with the mother in, in Washington Heights, Felicia, mm-hmm. I w- even though Dominican Spanish is really hard to understand. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it, w- yeah. from the Dominicana, and it took me oh, a minute to like, wait, hold on, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> because they skip. I love each accent. I love the accents, you know, I'm not, I love yeah. it, but it's, yeah, it's just the, the islands in particular tend to, to talk fast and cut things. They talk so fast. Yeah, it was very, there were times when I, I couldn't understand her and I would say, you know, I, I don't, can you repeat that slower? <laughs> you need to speak slower. Um, but but anyway, your relationship yeah. that really speaks to like, what do we, what do we need or what do our kids need is they need a relationship. They need a reason, right? Whether that reason is us or school or whatever it is, but like the relationships are such a strong part you know, and as, as a teacher, we try and build that with like our community, right? Like I teach for a company mm-hmm. and like we try and make it like we're a family, right? Like we all mm-hmm. are studying French or Spanish and like we have these events monthly and we're like, yes, we're like a big family. Like you need people. Like that's why like these people. apps, like everybody has apps, you know, Duolingo, Memorize, whatever the app you choose, but it's not, it's not a person. It's not a back and forth. It's not an exchange like you and I are having in English, you know, that that's exactly. so much different than can you choose the right word? Is it S or esta? Like, you're not exactly. going to learn Spanish that way. <laughs> no, exactly. you need to make the mistake and the person's going to, you know, like, what do you mean by this? And then yeah. you're going to have that conversation. And, and that just that drive, I feel like, yeah, having friends or having someone in your life or a reason like a trip exactly. is such a motivating factor. Yes. Like, okay, I know I want to go to this country. So let me, you know, amp exactly. up my studying and exactly. you can create that for yourself, right? It's not that you have yeah. to suddenly find a second mom from Colombia. <laughs> I'm going to find this woman so I can amp up my Spanish. No, like you can find little reasons, but um, yeah, yeah for, the, the for... relationship is huge. And we want to give that to our kids, right? Like you talk to mama en français, like you speak to me mm-hmm. in French, like that's just our relationship. Exactly. Like yours was yeah. all English, even with your French father. So yeah, exactly. No, I want to reverse created. that with her, with the kids. And so I want Back them to focus me. on French. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so then in, I spent several months in Colombia, and that's really when I became fluent, I would say, is my trip in Colombia, because I was forced to, yeah. I was forced to speak Spanish 
exclusively throughout those several months I was there, especially in, you know, in rural areas in Colombia where nobody speaks anything besides Spanish. Um, and I, you know, I volunteered on a farm turned hostel cool. in the Boyaca region. It was, yeah, I had unbelievable experiences there that I, I want to say another life of Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say trauma. like, yeah, I want to say that that trip was really the catalyst for both like environmental advocacy uh-huh. and just connecting to my roots, you know, connecting yes. to the, the Latino, the Latina in me, and you know, I, which I, and I don't want to <laughs> criticize my parents. It's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally the land. Um, but I was never exposed to, to that culture. Right. I did <laughs> yeah, want to ask, I but I know, it, I know it's kind of sensitive. Like, um, and, you know, we were talking about how adoption is such a sensitive topic. And I think parents who try and, you know, make a bond with, let's say I adopt a, a child from China, like, am I going to try and forge a bond? I don't even speak Chinese. Like, how do I do yeah, that? Right. Can I celebrate I the new year? But yeah, that's a whole nother, like, huge yeah. um, undertaking, if you are going to say okay we have this child let's how do we how do we honor your roots like how do we do it in a way that's not uh what do I want to say like just stereotypical like you know like oh you're Chinese so you must like uh dumplings or something that's just like super (laughs) stereotypical right like you've got to do it in an authentic way um and I know parents have actually I have um, a colleague you know job I had a long time ago an ESL teacher and um I think he had like hired a tutor um to help his child you know there, there's ways of doing it but yeah it's, it's such a it's a mental it's another whole like side job if you're gonna it you is it's it's work it's work. you have to create a plan I mean know? bilingual parenting is work right if we're gonna it's, bilingual even if it's our native tongue and you're like yes. okay you know I just want to raise my kids in my native tongue it's work it doesn't it's happen work. automatically and I think that's the hardest thing and so many guests have come on and said I just thought it would happen. My husband's French. I just thought they would speak French, <laughs> like, you know, or like, I just thought I I would speak to them and that would be enough. But like, mm. like you said, it's, you have this whole, like, not a degree, but like you've done this training because it, it does, it takes like activities and like you have it to does. read books and like, you know, read books to your kids, like do things with them. It's not enough to just, here's your food. Okay. Good night. Like you yeah. need, to, you need to be so aware and so intentional that's the word I'm looking for and even not to switch back because like you said English is your dominant language Um, we all have one that's going to be dominant depending on where we're living who we talk to every day and it's so easy to slip in like you said you wake up the first thing your brain's thinking in English English it's just like automatic and it's it is have to literally force yourself I would every day I would struggle because I was raising my kids in Polish and that's not my top it's not my native language it's not even my best it's like my third <laughs> I speak Spanish and French better than Polish and it would be like oh. okay here we go let's do this I really get myself like ramped up like speak. and it became automatic you know like because you do say a lot of the same things yeah so I I really became fluent in Colombia and then uh, you know fast forward to now I still use Spanish a lot because as I mentioned there's a pretty big Latino population in, in where we live in New Jersey and Belleville. Um, so, you know, like communicating with the daycare ladies, like I, you know, I have to communicate with them in Spanish. Uh, I, you could tell I'm, I'm Latina. So when I walk around, you know, the main street here in Belleville and, or I go into a business, a lot of the businesses are owned by, by Latino people. So they'll see me 
and right away they'll start speaking to me in Spanish. Yeah. So, and I, I, I answer back in, in Spanish, you right. know, because I, I am at ease. Right. And that I, is a double-edged I, sword. Like you were saying yeah. though, like you, your husband's Puerto Rican people might do the same to him, but he's not yes. at ease. So yeah, it's kind of that yeah. double-edged sword of being, having a certain look and people assuming things about you. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Has it motivated your husband at all to like, like, are you speaking a little Spanish or no, you're saying you're not, you're only doing French in the house, right? So we started actually, yeah, that's a good question. We started incorporating Spanish now that my, my daughter is older. So she, like I said, she's going to turn five and she's really able to, to distinguish between French and Spanish. Now she's really able to make that, that distinction. And, um, she's showing an interest. She's telling me, I'd like to, you know, uh, start watching shows in Spanish. So she'll watch Dora in Spanish or Diego in Spanish. And she's picking up, I can tell that she's right now, she's just passively learning. Um, and we're, we're translating things at home. So whenever she says something in French, I'll ask her like, how do you say that? And comment tu dis ça en espagnol? How do you say that in Spanish? Um, you know, like uh, like backpack. Like, how do you say second? You know, because I know that she's learning that with Dora. Of course, right, she knows like, what that is. La mochila. And, yeah, la mochila. <laughs> and it's, it's and, very different, right? So those words are good to point out because they're not necessarily the close words. Like, you know, restaurante. It's like, okay, it's the same. Like, we don't need to point that one out. I lost you again. Oh, right. oh, you're back. Yeah. And we do point out when, <laughs> um, but yeah, and we will point out if there's uh, a word in French, that sounds very similar to a word in Spanish. We will say, oh, look, or I'll point out, I'll say, Emilia, look, it sounds the same, almost the same. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, je comprends, well, you can say in Spanish, yo, yo comprendo. Yeah. And that'll oh, help her entiendo. retain it. Yeah, exactly. If she makes that, you know, connection with French now, she has that frame of reference. She knows mm-hmm. the French language. She's very comfortable with the French language um, because she also she also takes a weekly French class um, nice. in Montclair. So we I mentioned that we live close to Montclair mm-hmm. and there's a pretty big French community in Montclair. Uh, there's the Alliance Française in mm. Montclair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I wanted her to 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 take a French class on a weekly basis. And I researched um, and I found this nonprofit organization called Parlez-vous Français. And it's, yeah, it was started by a group of French expat parents who wanted their kids to continue with the French education, uh-huh. but their, their kids are still enrolled in the, in the American public school system, yeah. but they wanted them to be able to take a weekly or, you know, uh, I think at the time when they first started there, they offered two classes, but now it's only once a week mm-hmm. where they could continue. It's not learning French as a second language. No, it's, it's only open to French or Francophone families. Okay. So the kids have to have already an exposure exactly exposure to the french language through one or both parents at home which was our case so um yeah and and what kind of things are they learning sorry if they're not everything just yeah everything basically that you learn in in uh in the american preschool system they're learning they're fitting all of that into the two hour uh time frame and as they get older they're going to have a lot of homework it's it's very rigoureux like we were talking about rigorous like yeah (laughs) like because it's intense it's two hours but it's uh you know they work on writing at this 
age uh, writing their name or in cursive too, which which is great. Yeah, because I don't good. think they learn cursive in the American school system. I don't think so anymore. Yeah, um, they they sing. Yeah, they sing songs in French. They do arts and crafts. Everything mm-hmm. you know to improve their fine motor skills. Uh, yeah. You know, expand on their vocabulary. And she's just made tremendous, tremendous progress in the French language. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's thanks to me speaking to her, but it's also being reinforced by a more formal setting sure. where she, it, you can tell she's improving because she's talking also with other children who yeah. you know there's a oh, little girl so- little girl that that started with Amelia so you know two years ago um, and yeah yeah it's, they were she yeah the little girl was um, a French girl both her parents are French mm-hmm. um, and so she was speaking with her every week and you know at first and when Fr- Amelia first started she she was mixing it was more like she was speaking in English even in the class mm-hmm. but now she's only like I listened to them the other day and like she's only speaking French in that in that classroom setting she knows that once she's in en classe de français we only speak en français like you said it's um there's so many like intentional things that we have to decide and i know um we do have that here we have like saturday school um oh, that some yes. people do and i know that i've heard about that in other communities as well like so that exists um nearby for us for polish but also i've heard of other like vietnamese you know chinese like people have these little schools because again all these parents with the same desire like man like we are from this country we want our kid to speak it but we don't necessarily want to pay for like a private school or maybe exactly you know like we just need like a little saturday school so yeah i think theirs is like three hours um and they were too small back in the day i went they actually gave me and my friend um polish classes which was fun but i would see all the little kids and they would talk to us it was really sweet yeah we might end up enrolling them again uh we'll see yeah no it helps every little bit helps I mean you mentioned private schools yeah I mean at first I was looking into that option but when I looked at the price the the tuition was just it's out of this world I I don't know how people can afford it (laughs) yeah it's it's really that is a scary scary fact I've looked at it just you know out of curiosity and just you know being a French teacher like oh I wonder if they're hiring you know just on those kind of websites like how do they ask that for a four-year-old like exactly <laughs> it's like 30, what in the 000. world are they doing in that school like exactly she gonna come out with a diploma like what <laughs> no it's it's shocking it's, really it's very shocking. shocking especially like I was looking up I was interested just at my comparison I was interested in what my parents paid uh for us to go to the oh. Internationale. just by comparison just to compare I, and I looked it up and it was like I don't know four thousand dollars a year well yeah you could compare you could compare university here to university in france because i know i did i did my uh studies there it only cost a couple thousand and i was like oh that would have covered my books in the u.s (laughs) it's like yeah it was like a thousand for like the whole year or a thousand for semester i was like yeah Yeah. that wouldn't have even covered my um yeah maybe my books and uh, one meal (laughs) exactly it's insane it's it's insane. insane Yeah. It's a whole business, but you know, like you, you were saying before, that's a whole other, <laughs> another conversation. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have time to get into that yeah, exactly. for sure. All right. Well, my gosh, there's like, we could just keep talking for five hours, honestly. I know. <laughs> so I want to know what tips, I know you just gave us like some things that you do with your, with your daughter and your son, but like, you know, looking back right now, you've done French since birth. So that's just like the natural. Now you're adding Spanish so like 
what's going through your mind when you're like, how are we going to add this? You know, how are we going to fit this in? Kind of some tips if somebody is listening and saying, okay, I've been speaking English. I want to add in a language. Yeah. What has been going through your mind or what, what kind of tips would you give? Or So everything really stemmed from a trip that we took last year to Puerto Rico. And yeah, that was uh, a trip that was my Christmas present to my, my husband who had never been to Puerto Rico. He's 39 oh, and he had never yeah. been to Puerto Rico. And um, it's crazy, right? I wanted, it's crazy. Yeah. And there's a lot of crazy. people in that boat. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and that also took a while for me to understand, but now I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted him to discover his roots, you know, in the same way that I went back to Colombia, I wanted him to discover his roots and for my children to start understanding also, I mean, Leo's too small, right? At the time he was, he was gosh, be he pictures. Was two years old. Yeah, be, exactly. Picture. You can but, talk about it down the road. Yeah. But my, 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 my firstborn, Amelia is starting to understand that she's Puerto Rican, right? Mm-hmm. That her father's Puerto Rican, therefore she's Puerto Rican mm-hmm. and Puerto Rican people speak Spanish. And so all of that really was reinforced when we took that trip to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. She was hearing Spanish everywhere. She even started picking up uh, Spanish. I could see, and we were just there for 10 days or not mm-hmm. even 10 days. Um, but you could see her little brain working. Like she she was putting two and two together, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. So she understood that in Puerto Rico, you speak Spanish. It makes it very French. real. Yeah. Exactly. That she was connecting this new place. She had been to France with me mm-hmm. before many times. Mm-hmm. I took her on her first trip to France when she was two and a half months old. So. <gasps> Yeah, she's she's been to France many times. She knows that in France we speak French. Right. Um, but I wanted her and Leo to start understanding that there's also another culture in our family, right? Mm-hmm. Where we represent three cultures, and I would argue mm-hmm. even four, right? Because yeah. Puerto Rican culture is different from Colombian right. culture. Um, so, yeah, I I think that was really the incentive for us to the impetus for us to really start incorporating more Spanish into our family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I coming I, back, how do you do that? Like, like yeah. that's all great, but like, if I can't afford a trip, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or exactly. I don't even have a native, right? Like maybe I'm just a, an American who wants to speak Spanish yes. to my kids. Like, yes. Where Absolutely. do I start? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been looking for a while for classes, Spanish classes, you know, in addition to her weekly French class for her to really start learning Spanish in a more formal setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found one um, and there was actually a possibility for my husband to take Spanish classes at the same time. It's like a mommy and me or parent and me yeah, class yeah. Um, for two hours on a weekly basis. Uh, we can't fit it in our schedule right now, mm-hmm. but she's going to, she's going to do this summer immersion, summer Spanish immersion camp. Uh, cool. So in, in August, um, she's going to be uh, going to this, this place in Rutherford and she's going to be uh, just being exposed to only Spanish through activities in the summer camp. How fun. So, yeah. So we'll continue that hopefully in the fall too. just keep up with these classes. And mm-hmm. uh, like I mentioned, I think that um, she's starting to want to watch TV in Spanish. Now that is something that, that is uh, it's a huge part also of her learning a language because um, with French, I discovered that on Netflix, you can watch shows and you can, you can, um, change the audio to other languages right yeah. so I never uh, let her watch um, uh, Gabby's Dollhouse in English from the beginning when we first started watching Gabby's Dollhouse 
I started letting her watch it in French. So she mm-hmm. thinks it's a French show. That's what she thinks because she's never seen it in English. Right. I never let her watch it in English. And I knew she was going to like that show because she loves kitties. That's mm-hmm. her thing. She's a cat lady. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have this little colored girl, Gabby, mm-hmm. and her cat. That's Amelia. She's a little colored girl, too, with her cat. So mm-hmm. I knew she was going to love that. So she started watching that whole show in French. Um, and that helps with vocabulary. Yeah, so shows in Spanish like Dora and Diego, uh, that's also going to reinforce the language. And like I said, for me to start really... Um, not so much speaking to her in Spanish because again, my focus is on French um, and my Spanish is not native, you know, it's not a native. I mean, I can speak it fluently, but I feel like I don't have that, 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 that proper accent. So that I want her to, to pick up on. So I do little things here and there where I translate something in English or in French to Spanish, you know, and I try to give it my best accent. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm, yeah, little things here and there. Yeah, Yeah. and and my in-laws, so they, of course, they speak fluent uh, Spanish, right? My my husband's father and Mm -hmm. mother, unfortunately, it's really sad because I think that if my mother-in-law didn't have uh, late-stage Alzheimer's, she'd be teaching our our kids Spanish, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah, it, that's, it breaks my heart for many reasons, not just the fact that she can't speak Spanish to them, but that she's slipping away, that she's being right. robbed of time with her children. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, my father-in-law, he'll say things there here and there in Spanish to the kids, but it, it's not consistent. It's not like, you know, I, I did ask him many years. I mean, when we, when we first found out that I was pregnant with Amelia, I did ask him, Hey, you know, can you make sure to speak in Spanish to the kids? But mm-hmm. again, it's just not something that's natural, right? right. If he never did that with his own kids, it's going to be even more difficult with his grandchildren that he doesn't see mm-hmm. nearly as much. Um, so a lot to ask, you know, you can ask yeah. it, but you can't always reinforce it's just it's it's out of your hands exactly <laughs> you can only control the language you're using and what you're exactly. doing exactly yeah exactly yeah so but you know it helps that she has that amelia has friends that are, are you know latin little latino kids right mm-hmm. that she has a lot in her class like there's mainly hispanic children that's great so you know maybe we can arrange to have play dates with them and maybe right. for her to start speak speaking Spanish with her friends more that that's you know that's my goal for this mm-hmm. year is to that that Spanish class the Spanish summer camp having play dates with other children yeah. who are Spanish speaking that all of that helps yeah it's it's all gonna help and it's all gonna like little by little add up and exactly it's just and it's already such a normalized thing right like in this place, I speak this. In this place, I speak this. Like she's already got that that plasticity, that flexibility. That exactly she's aware of other languages, right? So exactly. we've already, you know, opens their world up. And you know, as I always say, we don't know what they're gonna do when they're fifteen and they have the chance yeah. to to take a language in high school. You know, like we don't know what they'll <laughs> pick and what will you know what will come of these little. I like to think of it as seeds we're planting, yes. right? Like we're just planting the seeds and. Yeah. you know you've got your language you're focused on right French is your focus language and if she takes off with Spanish great but if she doesn't it, it could come up later right she could, could be 10 and then decide she really wants to do Spanish exactly no, who knows it's like you can't really like we were saying with your your in-laws you can't force your kids either right like you, you can offer them opportunities hey you want to watch this you want to do this fun camp yeah. but like you know it's yeah. ultimately like anything give them options and then hope that they choose exactly but I think a huge part of uh you know we were talking about relationship I want to say that 
what really helps um, is, is also building a positive relationship with a language and a culture, right? So if we celebrate all of these different, and I tell them, um, I tell my kids um, that they should be proud of all these cultures that they're embodying. Like, this is amazing. Not everybody can say, well, in, in, my, kids, in my kids' case, not everybody can say, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Colombian, I'm French and, and I'm, I speak fluent English. Like that, that's amazing. That's four different things that you you're representing. Yeah. And, and if they so, were born here, they're American. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, and I hopefully will, will make a trip to, uh, to when the kids are a little older, obviously, and things are safe and everything to mm -hmm. Colombia, because mm -hmm. I really want them to understand that they represent all these different cultures and to love those cultures, to embrace their, their, their various roots. Yeah. Um, so the that's, diversity, that's going like to help. you said, just because it's both Latino, you know, Puerto Rico is a whole different world than Colombia, and for good reason, right? Oh, different yeah. food, different accents, exactly. different everything, dances, music, all sorts, right? Exactly. Yes, they share Spanish, yeah, it, but they're they're their own. I mean, in, in the same way that if I go to where I'm from, and you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, it's very different than going to the South and exactly. in Texas or Kentucky or somewhere. Exactly. Okay. That's celebrating the diversity. That's that's hugely important. And even within our family, uh, you know, my kids are are look so um, different. You know, I mean, they have the same very similar features, but their skin color, their skin tone is so different. Mm -hmm. And I want them to celebrate that rather than thinking, oh, I, I look too dark, or for Leo to say, oh, you know, to to have a, a complex when growing up, thinking, oh, I don't look Latino enough because I'm not brown enough because he's very light skinned. Like mm -hmm. I want them to go to Colombia to see, the, and even in Puerto Rico, there are people that looked so different from one another. Yeah. You can't say this person looks Puerto Rican. Right. And in Colombia, you cannot say this person looks typically Colombian. There's people mm -hmm. There's people that Afro-Colombian, right? That are, are yeah. dark and, you know, black. And then there are people that are very light-skinned, even blonde people or red-headed people. In I know it Everything. sounds really crazy, but that's, that's the beauty of Latino people is that yeah. we're a mix of so many different you know backgrounds ethnicities mm -hmm. so well, and I think you guys are you're well on your way to, to getting your kids lots of exposure and just kind of normalizing it right like this is just exactly we're all different but we have these languages these you know cultures things that we can actually enjoy because we understand more right languages exactly. give us that key to understand more because exactly. you know you can go to Colombia without speaking Spanish but you're not as deeply involved in what everything happening and what people are saying and I mean I'm all for traveling I'm not going to learn every language of the world but when it's your own right there's yeah. like more of a, a tie to it a connection exactly exactly a connection yeah. okay I would love if you could teach us um a word or a phrase um could be French could be Spanish could be whatever you like oh, okay um well in French of course um since I do have a uh two cat lovers in my family my okay. both my kids love cats um there's an expression and I don't know if you know it it's called donner la langue au chat do you know that one yeah I've heard I mean I've heard it we've done a lot with like idioms and things but yeah so mm -hmm. yeah so it means it's translated into donner la langue au chat means give your tongue to the cat and literally. what it yeah literally <laughs> and what it means is if uh say like for example um someone wants you to guess something mm -hmm. and and you can't for some reason you, you try to guess but you can't and then after a while you say I give up you could say mm -hmm. je donne ma langue au chat mm -hmm. I don't know where that comes from like where I, yeah to look into it 
specifically why cat a cat why are you giving your your what does that mean like giving your tongue well, we to have cat. weird idioms like the cat's out of the bag now we yeah, know the secret exactly. like why is it a cat coming out of a bag i don't know and why is it like cat yeah. got your tongue when you're quiet your why tongue. do they say cats got, got your tongue i don't know uh, they could um, really get in there tongue. with their their uh les, les, what do you call this their claw, <laughs> claw. And, like get your tongue and you couldn't talk i could imagine <laughs> I can actually visualize that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. um, so that would be the French one. Nice, nice. Uh, okay. Yeah. And Spanish, I just, I, I, this is a short one, but I, I spending, having spent time in Colombia, mm -hmm. I noticed a lot of people say, and also, also in other uh, South American countries, they say, que chévere, when something's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I like that one. Chévere. Yeah, que chévere. How cool. Yeah, yeah how and cool. every country has their own word for cool. Right? Like, exactly. Maybe not every country, but there's like definitely, def Definite regional variations, you know, Mexico versus South America versus Spain. Yeah, that's exactly. a good one. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it was really such a pleasure. Where can we find more about you or if we want to connect with you? Where can we get in touch? Yeah. Um, so I run a blog site called Mamo Earth. Um, and that can be found at www.mamoearth. So M A M A N. E-A-R-T-H. Yeah, because it's Mamo, it's in French, Mamo right? With the N. Yes. Yeah, with the N, earth.com. So it's a blog site all about sustainable parenting. So I give tips on simplicity in your life as a parent, friendly activities, um, tips on bilingualism. So reinforcing the target language at home, all of that. And the Instagram is Mamo Earth, again, Mamo. And between Memo and Earth, there's an underscore. Perfect. So and I will put it all idea. into the show notes so that people can just click and find it really easily. Okay. Wonderful. Merci infiniment. So Such Merci a pleasure. <laughs> and uh, yes, we will send people your way and they can get in touch if they want to know more because there are so many things that we kind of touched on and we couldn't get more into. So yeah. maybe we can have you back on. You can update us how Spanish is going. And um, yeah, we can I would up. love to. Yeah, we'll definitely catch up again. Well, merci yeah. infiniment. It was a pleasure. Merci à toi. It was a pleasure. Truly. Pleasure is all mine. Yes, you're, you're welcome back anytime. Thank right. you. Definitely yeah. interested. Bye. Okay.